Hello and welcome to Holyrood's podcast, Politically Speaking. I am journalist Louise Wilson and I am here at COP26 in Glasgow. Today I'm joined in the green zone by Fabrice Levesque of WWF Scotland. Hi Fabrice. Hello. So, how are you? What are your first impressions of COP so far? Oh gosh, Uh, I am well. Uh, I feel very uh, privileged to be at this huge gathering on climate change. And uh, first impressions are, my goodness, how huge it really is. Uh, Obviously I knew that uh, 200 countries are represented here, Uh, but to see it, and particularly to see it in Glasgow where I live, is really quite spectacular. And uh, to see just the huge size of the venues and people from all around the world, uh, it really is quite uh, slightly overwhelming, quite inspiring. Um, So yeah, those are the first first thoughts. So we're currently on day three of the conference. We've had a sort of two big announcements so far. That was on methane emissions and deforestation. Um, how do, does, do those announcements go far enough, do you think, at the moment? Very good question, and that's uh, what everyone's asking at the moment. Do they go far enough? I think it's really good to see the political commitments, and that's what these first couple of days of the COP have been all about. So world leaders coming here and pledging, we hoped, to increase their climate targets, but also, and just as importantly, pledge around the, the policies, the actions that they would do, whether that's deforestation, cutting down methane, phasing out fossil fuels. So the announcements yesterday were really welcome. Uh, more than 110 countries signed the deforestation agreement. Does it go far enough? These things almost never do. And there's a lot of work to make sure that we hold those governments to account and that they deliver on those, those pledges. We have seen similar pledges in the past and it's really important that we actually build from what's been, been achieved. But that's not to say that they are, are, aren't really impactful. Like I say, to get that many countries around the table to sign up to such an agreement, uh, and particularly for us as WWF, an agreement on deforestation, uh, is really heartening to see. So that's a, a good sign of, of progress. So the Prime Minister said yesterday that he was cautiously optimistic. Do you share that cautious optimism then? I do. I think there will be some some positives to draw from this conference. I've been thinking about this question. I think the it's almost it depends on your perspective as to what what does good look like at this COP? And there are different layers to this. So if we take the negotiations and the politics of this, I think there is cause for optimism, as the, as the UK Prime Minister said. We have world leaders making these quite substantial pledges, uh, not just on, on deforestation, but on a number of other issues as well. So that's, that's what this early stage of the COP is really about. And I think for those involved in the politics and the negotiations, the mood is one of probably pragmatism and initially slight concern. The, the mood music coming into this from the G20 wasn't fantastic and so it's been good to see some commitments delivered. I think the job of this COP26 was huge, building on the Paris Agreement and closing the gap to, to 1.5 degrees. So I think given the huge task, there, are, there will be calls for optimism. If you ask uh, members of the public, so I've been speaking to my neighbours, people I've been meeting out and about, people working here at, at COP, and some of the, the campaigners outside, I think there's much more anguish and frustration. And I think that's, that's also quite palpable here. So I think a lot of people are very aware that to outsiders, 
the given the stakes that we said, you know, this is essentially the, chance, the last chance to keep warming to 1.5 degrees. I think the slow pace of negotiations and the lack of progress will be rightly hugely frustrating to, to many people, and I think that's that's another uh, I think way to assess progress at this COP, and, and people rightly call out the, the very lack of progress towards what the science says we should do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the world leaders have now left the conference, it's now very much up to the, the diplomats and the behind closed doors negotiations. What do you think we can expect from the next week and a half? There's lots on the menu, so those negotiators have a, a huge job to do. Uh, not made easier by COVID, so uh, meeting room sizes have been reduced. Uh, the length of meetings has been reduced to allow people to come in to clean them. So the agenda is, as I understand it, more packed than usual, and yet the conditions are, are more challenging. But the sorts of things we'll, we'll hear about are likely to be, in particular, Article 6, which is the part of the Paris Agreement that talks about carbon markets. It's been one of the most difficult to reach agreement on, and there is a lot of work happening and starting right now to try and finally find an agreement on that. Uh, other key issues we're likely to hear about are the uh, $100 billion finance pledge from the rich countries to the, the poorer ones. Uh, there's work surrounding that as well and also on the, the issue of loss and damage, so compensating particularly developing nations for the climate impacts that they're already feeling. So though there are those parts of Paris Agreement to work on and there's many many others so for example you might hear a term called the Paris Rulebook which is essentially kind of all the technical policies that were put in place five years ago so any number of those could, could finally reach agreement it's kind of a, a building in progress and it'd be great to see one of those finished off you know, we as WWF would like the whole building to be finished the roof done and you know, cut the red tape uh, I think that's probably quite optimistic so we'll see a trickle of progress across all these different fronts over the next 10 days mm -hmm. um and obviously WWF as an organization is quite in quite a unique position. Um, you've been campaigning on, on climate for a decade. You're probably one of the one of the um, longest standing organizations in this arena, certainly one of the biggest. Um, are you encouraged by this this awareness and, and the public getting on board and world leaders really getting behind the need to drive um, tackling climate change forward? Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, WWF has been campaigning on this issue for at least three decades, if, if not longer. I spoke to a colleague from uh, Brazil just this week for the first time, and he told me he's been working on securing an international agreement for, for 30 years. So he was there in 1990 when the UN agreed to first set up a body of work. So yes, compared to the, the road that's been travelled, uh, where we are now is, is, is fantastic. And um, I think... When you look at the road ahead, there's still an awful lot to be done. So we are still way off the track in terms of keeping the global warming to 1.5 degrees. So it's a mixed emotion. I think um, obviously huge progress has been achieved, particularly in the last five years. Uh, there's an awful lot more work to be done. Um, and so for the older members of the, the Panda family, I think uh, they're very heartened by the momentum that you see here. Um, but like I say, it's still there. Uh, it's a very slow process and there's still a long, a long way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, for so many people, this 
you know, climate change is quite daunting and it, and it causes a lot of anxiety because it is such a huge problem and it, and it does need to be tackled on a global scale. But obviously we've got this world meeting here in Scotland and in Glasgow. I mean, what can Scotland be doing specifically to really help push this message forward and, and bring about international change? That's a great question. I think Scotland uh, can and is playing a really important role. So, I guess in two ways, primarily. First of all, by being ambitious, talking about Scotland's ambitions and, and being an example to the rest of the world. And we really have done that in, in many ways. And secondly, it's making sure that we deal with our part of the problem. So, making sure that Scotland itself cuts its greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so, on the first point, we've seen some really good steps this week from, from the Scottish Government. So, uh, the First Minister has been at num- a number of events uh, today and, and yesterday and the Scottish Government made a, quite an eye-catching commitment around loss and damage so it's quite a contentious issue and the Scottish Government have um, announced they'll put part of their climate justice fund to um, projects that work on loss and damage in the developed world it's not a huge amount of money I think it's a million pounds if I'm like, corrected on that but it's really important because very few developed countries have actually committed to those kinds of projects. There's a lot of politics around the idea of compensation. So that's a small way that Scotland can say, look, we are a wealthy nation, we're ambitious on climate change, and we're doing the right thing. And lots of our international colleagues have, have taken note of that, um, that good step that the Scottish Government has, has taken. The Scottish Government could also talk about its climate change targets. So uh, in Scotland, we updated our Climate Change Act to reflect the Paris Agreement where the global temperature goal was um, the ambition on that was increased so in 2019 the new Scottish Government, the Scottish Parliament Climate Change Act set tougher targets to, to cut our own emissions of CO2 and that's again something that's really important to talk about in the context of the COP because not all countries have done that and in fact that's probably one of the biggest issues for this COP was to make sure that all countries came to the negotiating table with those updated targets. Scotland's done it, uh, the UK's done it, the EU's done it. About um, 60% of countries have at least updated their pledges. Uh, very few of them have done, set them at the level that you really expect. And, and Scotland's one of those few countries that has. So it's great to see people like the First Minister and other cabinet secretaries talking about Scotland's ambitions and wanting to be uh, at the forefront. The picture's not all rosy though. And on the domestic emissions front, there's a lot more work to be done. So we're quite off track in terms of meeting that really ambitious climate target. So hopefully one of the things that will come out of the COP will be a greater focus on our politicians here in Scotland as to what they're really doing to, to cut emissions. And that's particularly in the areas where we've not made progress. So things like agriculture, transport and home heating. So they're big areas where emissions in Scotland and the UK aren't, aren't really falling. And we need to see Scottish government, Scottish politicians leading and increasing what we're doing to help all of us cut our own emissions of, uh, of CO2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've seen um, in the past few days um, various um, ways that, that COP has managed to integrate some of the transport in Glasgow, for example. Is that the kind of thing that we need to see permanently in Scotland to really drive this agenda forward? Absolutely. Um, 
I'm lucky enough to be able to cycle back and forth from uh, the south side of Glasgow to, to the COP and uh, cycling behind a, an electric bus the other day so the COP26 line ferries people from the centre of town to the SEC and it's an electric bus Alexander Dennis hopefully made in, in Falkirk and it's fantastic as a cyclist and it's not belching out views um, hopefully some of those buses will be part of the Glasgow fleet um, and that's something we need to see happen really quickly so a lot of the buses particularly in Glasgow and other Scottish cities are still diesel very polluting we could move to electric ones and that would both cut CO2 but actually just improve the air quality as well mm-hmm. um, and you say you're a Glasgow resident are you proud to see your city at, at the heart of these negotiations? totally I mean it's fantastic to see like, the city hosting this and uh, people are really engaged um, lots of people on the street you speak to are uh, very interested and quite a high level of knowledge actually about kind of what this all means um, so it's great you know, I've been saying to people it's not Glasgow isn't a city that usually would host such a thing. I think normally you'd expect it to go to London, perhaps. So I think it's, it's fantastic. Uh, it's kind of mind-blowing in scale, and I hope that people aren't too inconvenienced. There's a lot of road closures. Um, so I think for people living here, going about their daily lives, it's not the easiest thing to have. Um, but I think the scale of it and the sheer attention of the world is kind of rippling out. So I think people in Glasgow are quite excited to, to have this here. 